Hello, everybody. Welcome to Trek No Babble. This is Matthew. And this is Kevin. And today we are going to do Futures End Part 1. I guess there comes a time in every young series life when you do the arbitrary time travel episode. And, well, this is that time for Voyager. Uh, the question is how arbitrary and how pointless and how many sort of contortions in logic you have to do in order to get to whatever is the cool thing about the time travel story um i think most time travel stories have a cool element it's just a question of you know what they had to sacrifice to get there um ds9 <laughs> yeah uh what was that called past, past tense? tense um ds9's uh past tense got lost in the weight of its own allegory um, yeah. uh, the way a friend described it, I think I, I remember I borrowed his language for the post was just the end of that episode. Avery Brooks did everything, but when he asked Bashir, is there anything we can do? He practically looked in the camera and said, do you know audience? Like there was just not, there was just no subtlety at all. Um, yeah, I, I also, I feel that the setup was really creaky. Yeah. So just from the outset, I, my, my shields were up, so to speak. Uh, you know, DS9's Little Green Men, it, because it dispensed with the setup to some degree, it's like, whatever, we got to the cool part right away, so it was okay. And it also, uh, I think a lot of good time travel stories dispense, like, usually a time travel story focuses around restoring or maintaining the canonical timeline, and Little Green Men, by and large, by step, uh, just sidestep that problem because Quark didn't care, clearly. And we all knew Odo would probably rein him in before anything too much could be done. And once you realized where and when they were, you realized, oh, wait, this does all work out because they're the Little Green Men. So it's kind of like that episode was not about the mad rush to keep time intact. So it, it's, it solves a lot of the what feels like a fairly tired time travel trope anyway. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's a very abstract thing to try to get an audience to care about in some ways. Um, and so a lot of the stories live or die by what actually happens to characters as opposed to some sort of sanctity of time. That's one of the nice things about yesterday's Enterprise is that, you know, Picard is like, screw the timeline, you know. Uh, this is about people, right? Uh, or actually, what's the other one? Um, with... Dr. Berlinghoff Rasmussen. Why do I remember that? Not the title. Anyhow. A matter of time. Uh, matter of time. You know, Picard says, you know what? Hey, I, your past is my future. And so I'm going to do what I feel like. Um, and, you know, that's a, that's a good character moment. All right. Anyway, you know, Voyager is early in season three. Uh, it's, you know, to its credit, avoided time travel stories to you know except this for point. um uh what was it romulan von armstrong well i mean that was attenuated yeah it wasn't straight up people. we're going back in time yeah and I then agree. time and again in the first season was you know sort of a time displacement story yeah not so much a time travel story um uh, you know it, it was halfway there but they they haven't done this the time travel story to Earth, essentially. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, we're going to visit Earth at time X. 
Uh, and you know why they're doing it. I mean, it's, it's cheap. Uh, you know, worked Although, in Star Trek four DS nine didn't go cheap, <laughs> you know, and it still ended up being kind of like, Oh, why are you doing this here? It's straight up cheap, you know, because just like Star Trek, uh, four, yeah. you know, they're going to the filming era of the series. Um, I'll say uh, w- sk- skimming through this, uh, pre- preparing for, uh, the podcast and the post, I did enjoy a lot of the very 90s thing. Like, it, you know, when I was in the 90s, I was not aware of the 90s as the <laughs> 90s. It wasn't like, oh, that's a really 90s haircut she has. Now I look at it and be like, how did I not see that that was like a quintessential 90s haircut? Oh, my God. Yeah. So it's. Yeah. I think it's going to be fun watching this in much the same way it was watching um, Voyage Home, which, you know, when you think it was 10 years earlier. So they, they really should have done a t- it had a show been on. Um, in 2006, they really should have done a, a return to 2006 uh, episode just for uh, an- the sake of the anniversary. All right. Well, why don't we get started? All right. I'm queued up. So I will count down, and we will all press play on my mark. So three, two, one, press play. It's already an odd beginning. Earth, the high Sierras. Oh, 1967. I mean, we're giving us a date here. Uh, so this would be, I mean, what, what, what is it supposed to be? 28, 29 years before the putative time period? Uh, tw- 29 years. And, you know, Ed Bigley Jr., they did an okay job making him look a bit younger, but I guess he's just one of those grizzled guys. Yeah, well, to be fair, I think he's looked that way since he was thirty. It's a, it, <laughs> he's just, he's just always been very deeply lined. Yeah. Um, this is clearly a soundstage, <laughs> and I feel like it's a riff on uh, what was that one? Fire in the sky. That was the big UFO movie from the ninety. Like that, we're we're getting a little uh, well, maybe not alien abduction, but uh. Whatever it is he's encountering. Well, and far out, you know, it's kind of kind of cute. Um, it's a very short teaser. Uh, I like the idea that he's listening to the radio. Um, anyhow, Ed Bagley Jr. I really like his casting in this. Uh, I think he did a, a whale of a job. Um, I think it's a credit to him that. I got over the fact that it was Ed Bagley Jr. in relatively short order. Uh, I mean, his speech patterns are very, you know, distinctive. There's no two ways about it. He's got a little bit of a lisp, um, a certain tone to his voice. But I, I feel like he, he took on the character well and, uh, you know, integrated with the material. Um, so as far as that goes, I'm into it. Uh you know, that soundstage wasn't the greatest, but they only need it for five seconds, so whatever. Um, I mean, how do you feel about having a two-parter like this? I feel like when it happened, it was supposed to kind of be an event. Um, I'm trying to remember. I, th- I think Netflix, uh, at least uh, since that's how I watch it, is pretty faithful about maintaining the, the ones that were aired as two-hour episodes are still two-hour episodes in Netflix. So this, this was aired as an actual two-parter, right? This wasn't like a two-hour event like it was with those later Borg two-parters, right? Yeah, this was right? two separate episodes 
split by a week in between. Yeah, them. I'm sure at some point it was just like, well, it's time to do a two-parter. Um, well, the- Brandon Braga says that they they really just wanted to have fun, and this was their attempt to. Uh, yeah, I'll say that. Like, not to get ahead of the episode, but this episode is fun. It, it, there is something uh, silly and enjoyable and energetic about this episode that is not uh, that I can't deny. I don't Speaking like that. Of reinventing the wheel. I like seriously. Tennis balls won't work in the future. Come on, it's a tennis ball. It's a ball. You, you play tennis with it. It's just. Uh, <laughs> well, it's like I'm willing to believe that the goofball future material racket is better somehow. Yeah. But yeah, the ball. Come on. Like it's a wiffle ball. Like aerodynamics haven't changed in the future. It would. It, it, it would well, it's, it's more like suction. Yeah, it would sputter. It just ridiculous. I, I always like ready room scenes with the captain. She's got such a nice ready room. And maybe it's the windows. It really does it for me. I, I like her tchotchkes. Yeah. No, she's got good taste. This anomaly is not their best. Well, but, you know, do you know what a temporal time ship warp should look I'd like? I'd like to think I do. Yes, Matthew. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like the design of the time ship quite a bit. I think it's... Uh, it's is that neat. CGI? That doesn't look like a model to me. It does look like CGI. I agree. I, I've been re- I've been reading other people's opinions of Babylon Five, so it's made me very sharply attuned to what I feel is early generation uh, CGI ships. I find it weird that they have, there's a subspace signature that reads Federation. Maybe yeah, it's like an area code. That's definitely CGI. I like this weapon effect. Something original series about it. Yeah, I agree with that. It's just really neat looking. It's it's different. You know, it's not the same kind of pew pew. It looks more all encompassing, more serious. And it's destroying Voyager's molecular structure. And naturally, there's some kind of pulse they can do that will disrupt whatever. <laughs> so that navigational deflector, whoever in, you know, Her- Herman Deflector, whoever it was that invented it, really should have gotten the Nobel Prize. All right. So, Captain Braxton, the timeship Aeon, 500 years in the future. Do you feel, Kevin, that this is a can of worms that should not be opened? Yes. Yes, I do. Um, for, for a couple of reasons, one which exists inside the bounds of the episode, one exists outside the bounds of the episode, so I'm a little more hesitant to discuss it. Uh, the latter being, I feel they go back to the 29th century well a little too often. Um, I just, uh, I don't know. It, I also have a, tr- I mean, okay, I suppose any political body would change in 500 years, but it's like, even if Voyager were actually responsible for for a problem 500 years after Voyager's existence, I find it hard to believe that a being that a body with this kind of ability to manipulate time would casually go in and remove Voyager from the timeline. Like they, among all people, should really know you're just going to create more problems than you saw. Like I don't know. There's something hollow about the setup for me. I, I yeah. I mean, I guess I can come to terms with it the, the notion being that they would be killed in the, the the temporal explosion also so they're just killing them slightly earlier or something um 
you know, it, I agree. It raises certain questions. You know, I've had almost 20 years to think about it. <laughs> I've become okay with it. I mean, I had initial reservations and hesitation about it because, you know, what are you saying that Star Trek is going to turn into? Are you artificially limiting the storytelling horizons by, you know, making the future a certain thing? Uh, are you saying that the stories have to be these time travel stories? Because once you have time travel, that's like, does, doesn't everybody do it? You know, isn't that the most interesting story to tell science fiction wise? Um, but I've kind of, kind of become okay with it because they do interesting enough things with the character in this story that I feel okay about Captain Braxton. Um, and then I feel like they located it far enough in the future, 500 years that, you know, they don't have to get there for a long time if they don't want to, if ever in Star Trek. Yeah. I don't Um, know. Maybe I just, any explanation that, that explains how Braxton and Voyager interact was going to be somewhat arbitrary. I would have just preferred one that didn't make my eyebrow arch so severely. Yeah. I do. All this stuff is pretty good. You know, they're detecting the ship, and I, I appreciate uh, that uh, the way they know they're in the late twentieth century isn't the atmosphere's pollution content. I appreciate yeah. that restraint on the part of the writers. <laughs> it's in the city of Los Angeles. Janeway's like, "Hey, we're already in Los Angeles." Okay, so, so the... something you said about uh, the Little Green Men episode, I think, works here. We're what, uh, ten minutes we're only in? Eight minutes in. Yeah, and we're just done. We're we're on twentieth century Earth. We're going for a ride. Like we we've we've set it up. Everyone's going. The entire senior crew apparently is going. Um, <laughs> Look at these plastic bottles. Oh, that is. Oh my God. Okay, the see. The guy with the speakers. Well, on see, his head? this is the Did 90s that ever stuff. Actually, happen in the 90s. I, I doubt it. But the, and, and it, maybe it's because this feels very stagey. This this piece of what I assume is Venice Beach is very stagey to me. But there, there's a few other places, like particularly um, Captain Janeway's power suit, which when we get to, oh here oh God this yeah there it is. <laughs> she could be the corporate takeover villain on an episode of Melrose Place. There is just yeah, she wears she wears the shit out of no no suit. it looks great on her. She she could well that's kind of who she is. She's it, that is Captain Janeway's uniform in 1996. That is what a woman with her skill set and personality type would choose to wear. And I love the you new know, ponytail. Like, I'm never gonna be not okay with. Tuvok in a do rag, you know. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just manifestly okay with that. I mean, of all the possible solutions, it it it, it is it is the most I uh, like vis- visually practical, I suppose. It's just uh, it's it's in 1990s LA. You know, it's it's, it's not the uh, it's it's not the uh, torn off robe hem. <laughs> yeah. And so we're dispensing with the basic. Uh, you know, this could be my great grandmother's type jokes. Look at the color and material of Jacote's shirt. That is not a shade of blue or a fiber that exists in nature, and I couldn't be more thrilled. Like little stuff like this, they are really doing, I think, quite well. And maybe I would be having an even like 
bigger nerd response if I actually lived in L.A. at the time. Like, I feel if they went back to 1996 Chicago, I'd be like, I know exactly where that hot dog stand is. Like, I, yeah. maybe it would be a little more visceral. Uh, the bagginess of the shirt. I think that um, that Chandler... That's just from the Robert Duncan McNeil. Yeah, I'm just watch. saying, Chandler and or Joey and or Ross, maybe all three, wore that exact shirt. <laughs> like... <laughs> Like, the only thing anachronistic here is, is Paris's hair, because I think in the 90s, it would have been floppier. Oh, he would have been higher. He would have tried to create more of a uh, hairspray yeah. shelf. Oh, that is just an awesome ponytail for Janeway. I, I really love it. Yeah. No, and so the locations they've chosen and the on-camera, I don't know if this is maybe not even extras. These are just people going about their lives, you know. Uh, uh, we should ask really them where the naval bay is really in Alameda. Well. Uh, uh, Griffith Park. Griffith Park, short of the White House, has to be the most filmed location in the continental United States. <laughs> okay, so we're inside the Griffith Park Observatory. I, You know, I do question whether there is sophisticated radio telescopic technology in Griffith Park in Los Angeles. Um, is it just a optical telescope? I think it's just like a planetarium. I, I thought it was actually, I thought it was at least at one point a functional observatory. Okay. But, it's pretty outdated anyway. Uh, oh my God. These are not bad. Oh my God. That is such an, oh, that, that has only 256 colors. This is Sarah Silverman before she started swearing. I just, I can't. It, it is indeed. And I gotta say, I really like the Sarah Silverman casting, too. Uh, she did a heck of a job. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. Was she a Trekkie? Is that how she got... Was she a comedian at this point, or just an actress, or... I'm not sure. Like, was this a... Because I'm trying... Like, obviously plenty of actors have swung a, a guesting gig, um, because, they, you know, they, they knew someone, or they loved the show, etc. So I'm just curious if she was one of them. This is a super 90s office, too. The sconces... I just want to point out he has a firepower pinball table, uh, which, I mean, say what you want about Henry Starling, but he's got good taste in pinball tables. I don't know about the train on the desk. That's a little much for me. Uh, the, that monitor is, like, bigger than my kitchen. I just, how did we live when we essentially had to have, when we had to have a cathode ray tube television sitting on our desk? How how did we survive? I know. It's <laughs> Like it would be more. Ex My parents, I think, are the only people left in the world with a with a not flat screen television. Like I think to obtain one would be more expensive than a flat screen at this point. Well, certainly in terms of power bills. Uh, oh, the cordless phone. Yeah. <laughs> See, yeah. So I, the computer stuff in the in this observatory is not the best, but it's it's not horribly awful. Uh, yeah, I love the use of cordless phones. That's really good. Um, you know, they did a good job dressing the set, Yeah, you know, to make it look like sort of a dumpy workplace. And I'll say, like, like we said about Voyage Home, there is a effortless authenticity to the color palette, the, just the, the feeling of the era that had they try, like, if we tried to make something from 1996 right now, it would be far inferior to this because it would look like a music video from the 90s as opposed to the actual 90s because that we, we just wouldn't be able to separate <laughs> out. Um, 
lately. But there, there's something. There is something incredibly charming. I also like that his wall map is a ma- his his window is a map of the world. That's not a supervillain thing at all. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the 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 long blazer, the acid washed jeans. Oh, well, he's a lanky man. You know, Ed Bagley Jr.'s acting job here is really good. I mean, we already have an impression that he's not a nice man. Yeah. But the way he's delivering the lines to Rain Robinson is convincing enough that we don't think she's stupid. You know? Okay, the tattoo is a little on the nose for me. I think I can recognize Ed Begley Jr. with a haircut. (laughs) Eh, That's not that bad. At least no one actually has to mention it. That's true. I've always found Chinese food containers that people eat directly out of to be, you know, a horrible trope. Has anybody ever actually eaten directly out of a Chinese food container except on Seinfeld or this show? Yeah, I mean... uh... Not the rice, because that's just kind of a pain in the ass. But I've I've eaten like you know some like pots you know pot stickers or you know crab rangoon. But that's I agree, it's it's the it's the equivalent of a baguette sticking out of your grocery bag. Yeah, that's just barbarism. Well, when I'm eating Chinese food alone in the dark and crying, I mean, who who cares how I do it? Um, the whole world is barbaric then. <laughs> so they're, they're suffering some... Uh, plot devices. They're suffering plot yeah. devices. <laughs> but I like the fact that Harry's in charge. If I were an alien and I got that greeting, I'd be like, whoa, 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 slow down, people. You know, can you just linger on the picture and then linger on the you know DNA strand for a while? That's a very authentic looking cart. Yeah. And so, you know, it I get that he's like mentally unstable. But, but th- this why feels exactly is he trying to warn everybody about the end this of the world? feel well this feels like a very tropey version of homelessness, you know, like it feels like they called central cat it, 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 much like the Chinese food container and the baguette sticking out of the grocery bag, this feels very stagey. Well, it's like it's like he researched what homeless people should do in the 20th century and is just yeah. like trying to, you know, go through the motions. So yeah, I agree. The transporter issues are tropey. You know, it's plot device kind of stuff. Yeah, you're right. The ponytail really kicks ass on her. Like, I wonder, is it after this episode that she starts wearing it full, some variation full time? Well, we'll see. Yeah, because I'll say, I, I, I believe her bob is the favorite of her haircuts for me. Um, but uh, the ponytail with the it's it's very much like Terry Farrell's ponytail and like ladder Dax where it's like it's not just a ponytail there's like the the back sweep then the ponytail so it really frames her face and it flatters her see now that looks like a real homeless person the end of the future like did he get spray paint in order to paint some sort of thematically consistent graffiti yeah <laughs> by his hovel 
I gotta say though, that's prepare for futures end. That's a pretty cool uh, hiding place. Yeah. If you're in Southern California, you've got a bench seat to lay on. No more surveys, no more social workers. I mean, it, this dialogue's pretty good. And he's playing this moment of recognition very well. This is all your fault. He lost everything else, but he was able to hold on to his comm badge. You know, may maybe my problem with the setup is just, I refuse to believe that their solution would be destroy Voyager rather than prevent Voyager from causing the problem. Maybe, maybe that's like, there's just something... Like, any ethical powers, any go governmental body would have to pick the lesser option there and maybe they could have had a line of like well we tried to stop you we tried to stop you literally a hundred times and it didn't work or just i don't know this well to me a larger conceptual problem is you know whether a causality loop has been created since i'll spoil it for everybody <laughs> you know the future doesn't get obliterated and so they do change the the time loop that he is responding to um it, it just, again, I would really like a, a little more fleshed out theory about whether time is a unitary phenomenon or a multifarious phenomenon. But as far as exposition goes, this is pretty decent exposition. Initially, it sounds sort of ridiculous and crazy but he does draw the picture and then he does explain it reasonably well there's an explosion in the 29th century debris from voyager's hull is found okay so i take it that voyager is destroyed in this explosion Well, even he his explanation here, okay, maybe maybe he is crazy, but the only evidence they have that Voyager caused the explosion was debris from Voyager in the explosion. That seems like a, you know, someone jumped to conclusions. Well, maybe they can monitor the time stream a bit, you know, that, that, that's indicated in later episodes. Yeah. What, but do you see, why... What I don't get is how they can't monitor this. Right. Well, also, you could snap the paradox by not trying to destroy Voyager. If he, if you know this much about the the what events led to the next, if you choose not to attempt to destroy Voyager, Voyager never sends you back in time. You, the person never steals the ship and uses it to accidentally cause the explosion. So I'm just, you know. Well, Kevin, we may be on a road that has no turns. As was said in Times Squared, which you gave an unfairly low rating. Ah, that, that episode just did not do it for me. <laughs> I, I, fa I found Picard grumpily staring at himself to be less than scintillating. <laughs> okay, this is really my biggest problem with the setup. That there's a ship that if one little thing is slightly out of whack, can destroy the solar system. Yeah, yeah, I mean, cars are dangerous, but they're not, like, 
cataclysmically dangerous. I mean, doesn't it have a computer? <laughs> you know, like a semi-sentient or even at that point sentient computer, you know, that can just not blow up the universe. How do you feel about the name Chrono Works? Uh, it's it's a, it's on the nose, but I can't decide if it's on the noseness is like internal. Like the writers are like, oh yeah, this guy would totally name it Chrono Works, or they they actually thought Chrono Works was a good name. Having the X is a very '90s kind of thing. I mean, there was a company called CompuServe for crying out loud. So, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And I like I like the story elements, you know, it's like they thought he was crazy and they pumped him full of drugs and you know, so now he is kinda crazy. And I like this, you know, you shouldn't try to stop Starling because you're involved. Here come the cops. Okay, here's the unbelievable part. Yeah, the an LAPD squad car is hunting down a homeless guy who's taping up signs. Let's, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's got to be high on their priority list. I just, <laughs> I, I gotta say, I love the line, "You quasi Cardassian totalitarian." I mean, that's hilarious. And Janeway and Chicote play it off well. Oh, he's getting out the Billy Club. This is LA after all. Yeah, I was going to say, there's. <laughs> yeah. That's a decent. You're being generous. <laughs> oh, it's decent. The logo is actually pretty cool, and I like that he stole the. the, 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 the yeah. The, the uh, Chevron, logo. yeah. No, the building looked okay. It didn't look horrible. Well, the the logo was not was not great. No. They dressed this office well, like the pictures and plaques. Yeah, and yeah. And there's the pinball table. It's such a great game. Yeah. They lit this office well. That looks like it could actually be sunlight yeah yeah i agree with that i think there's something about having blinds that really sells it yeah yeah there's the hollywood sign good use of location shots i mean you know for once it's not the uh bronson canyon yeah they actually resolutely avoided showing us <laughs> any of that, which, you know, it's really nice. Tom put his shirt back on. God, those are such mom jeans. If they were any higher on his waist, they would be in his armpits. Like, 
Well, and it kind of makes it's like he got it wrong. So you're oh no right, no no, he got keep... it right. That was the that was the time. Like low waisted jeans did not come about for for a few years yet. I'm. It's like looking. It's like the stuff I wouldn't have noticed before. The only thing he's missing is the belt with the the end of it hanging down. Yeah, yeah. Remember that? Yeah. Ugh. I have to say, I do have. Uh, I I just finished watching uh, season two of Hannibal, and uh, for reasons I will not go into for fear of spoiling any episodes in season two of Hannibal, I have very different associations with the Griffith Park Observatory now. So uh, thank you, Brian Fuller, who may have actually written this episode or been on the team. Because I know this was at this point that uh, Brian Fuller uh, did a few episodes of Voyager. Well, this is Brandon Braga and Joe Manoski, mm-hmm. and we've said it before. When Brandon Braga is paired with another writer, the results are usually wonderful. I find it interesting, like, did they not have time? I guess they wouldn't have to, like, modify people's appearance. I guess it's why Chakotay still has his tattoo and they just went with the, um, with the do-rag. But th- those are some fierce eyebrows for a human uh, to be sporting, just just notice yeah. that. But the eyebrows alone wouldn't be enough. Yeah, to yeah. It, it, even you just if think he, he's like Grace Jones or something. Yeah. Uh pizza boxes that say pizza, okay, but not where the pizzas. <laughs> Those from. really do exist, though. I mean, they really do. You know. You can find pizza boxes that say, try delicious pizza, and it won't say the name of the company because <laughs> it's just a generic pizza box that different pizza makers yeah. buy. And so I, I would be willing to believe that that is one of those boxes. I like the off-key slang. Yeah. Well, to be fair, the woman is driving a Volkswagen bus, so... Yeah. Well, I, I just... I think it's a really nice touch to have tom be the 20th century expert i mean they're picking up on what was in the 37s too yeah Uh, these actors have good chemistry with each other yeah yeah and sarah silverman for whatever she has become is a pretty good actress. Maybe she's just being herself, but she's really good at being herself. He slips and says Starfleet Academy. East Coast School. (laughs) I can't get... That print is like, just... I'm like hypnotized by it. Yeah, it's... That is a 90s print if there ever were one. Tim Russ is yeah, he's got a pectoral muscles. Yeah, yeah, he must do like a lot of push-ups. And there's a Telosian on her desk. Oh yeah, <laughs> I think <laughs> I, I actually touch. may have that exact uh, figure. <laughs> So you were right, there are two uh, small optical telescopes, and I'm pretty sure there's a planetarium. Oh, yeah, yeah, I think it's obviously, you know, become more, um, like, touristy than 
functional, but I, I did think there were actually, like, they didn't call it an observatory like it was just, you know, a cool bar name. Ugh. How do you like that blue screen of death? Oh my god. It, no one ever gets computer anything right. Like, it, it, I will say, at least no one has... It's not as wrong as, like, CSI. Or, like, or like hackers, where it's, like, somehow manipulating a computer is like walking around a three-dimensional representation of something or my well, person thing that i hate the most is when the image is projected onto the face oh my god you took the oh my god the inverse of the image oh my god i hate that like do, do you <laughs> not know how tvs always work the same i just oh it just drives me crazy it's like that would actually kill a person if the tv were emitting that much radiation what is that thing in your pants i beg your pardon That was a really neat effect, getting rid of the truck like that. I, I want to know how that phaser works, that it manages to vaporize a truck but not the people standing next to it, because that's a lot of energy. Good thing he missed the Volkswagen. Yeah. Otherwise that was a could... hell of a shot by Tuvok, too. Oh, no, my do-rag. Nice stunt work. Yeah. This was a really action-packed scene that really was crisp and, and photographed well, and yeah. no. it really helps the episode. Okay, does that look like Earth to you? It's got a very strange sort of cut-and-pasty photograph effect. Yeah. So, yes, it looks like Earth, but I love this. <laughs> I just adore this. The notion of Neelix and Kess watching soap operas. I mean... It's terrific. United Colors of Benetton commercial? I wonder how that got snuck in there. Anyway, it's just... In a lot of ways, prior time travel episodes have sort of shied away from in a weird way doing something that would totally date the period they're in mm -hmm. you know but having people watch tv makes so much sense for this era yeah yeah it's a cute scene and it and it certainly doesn't go on too long the jokes are actually funny um i thought harry's line about preferring hollow novels was a little shoehorned in it didn't re feel like quite it like there, there's a ten it there's a tendency to talk about the future like it has a capital F by the characters in the show sometimes, and it's like a weak spot, I think, in writing when you talk about your own time as if you're aware it's the future relative to something else. It, But uh, but, but yeah, the, the scene of them watching soap operas is delightful. Well, and it just when they get emotionally involved, it's, it's really cute and funny. I love the art on the wall. Yeah. I mean, they made that big glass Lucite Chronoworks logo. Like the Forrest Gumpy kind of image with Richard Nixon. Yeah. That is a very 90s tech magazine cover. They really <laughs> nailed that artistically. That's a, that's a wired cover right there. Yeah. It almost looked like a second pinball table. I'd have to go back and look at it.
I love, I love that she hunts and pecks. <laughs> yeah. Turn of the Millennium Technology it wasn't a required course at the Academy. Stone knives and bear skins. Uh... It's a little extreme. It's a computer, people. Let's see. You know, I mean, it, I'll say this scene doesn't quite have the uh, charm of a hello computer like that. The, the Scotty version was was funnier. Well, I think it was cute enough. And what is nice is that she can just use the tricorder yeah, yeah. to uh, break the password, because of course her tricorder is more powerful than every computer on earth combined yeah yeah please my cell phone i think might be more powerful than all the computers on earth combined at the time yeah it may be and so they did a really good job with these like backdrops yeah the location shots are good they 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 used the city they took the vw off the bus oh yeah (laughs) trademark These scenes really work. There's there's good character dynamics in them. She has, I mean, in five minutes of screen time, really emerged as a fully fleshed out character that we believe and care about. Yeah. If you ask me. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's a fun sense, uh, uh, like something similar to that. Uh, this reminds me of the scene with uh, with uh, Jillian in Star mm-hmm. Trek Four. Absolutely. Well, and so Tom and Rain have good chemistry the same way that Kirk and Jillian do. Yeah. But it doesn't feel like a ripoff. No, no. At most, loving homage. But I would be pressed to say it's even a conscious one. I mean, beyond the fact that they are going to Earth at the time of the real-world production, there's not a lot that makes the two stories similar. No. No, I I had never uh, thought, oh, man, this is such yeah, a yeah, yeah. for a rehash. I, I do like Tom knows the period, but not enough to get the fine details right. Yeah, that's really funny. I mean, know, to, to be fair, even... I think if you ask the average American, does the KGB still exist? Or actually, doesn't the KGB still exist as a named entity and it just does state security for the state of Russia? Like, or is it called something else now? See, I don't I even think know. It's called something else now. Maybe it's just like the metonym in the American press, but yeah, it, the, 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 like I know a fair uh, because of the history of Rome podcast. I know a I think I know more than the average person about the history of ancient Rome. But if I went back, but you'd to, probably get things wrong within five years. Right, right. It'd be like, uh, yeah, yeah, it w- wouldn't be possible. You'd mention the wrong emperor. He was emperor ten years ago. Okay, this is one of the things that actually bothers me about the episode, because between Da Vinci being an alien and this, like, recursive causality loop of the timeship causing the technology that spurs the technology revolution that eventually leads to Star Trek and repeat, there's not a lot humans, like, Roddenberry was quite adamant that humans made the pyramids you know and it just anytime it turns out humans didn't invent the technology humans are purported to have developed it nags me a little yeah i think they may have gone a bit far with linking the things um but i don't mind the idea of him uh you know, trying to cannibalize technology for his own profit they, they just needed to soften the punch like maybe it let him uh get a jump on the technologies that existed at the time, like it let him steal or 
better utilize existed like like it, it was a helping hand it wasn't the whole deal because th- they almost made it sound like computers wouldn't have happened but for this crash yeah yeah well and they had already happened by 1968 for crying right right Th- this is one of my favorite speeches of hers like <laughs> yeah <laughs> these are a lot of windows 3.1 windows that Oof, she's opening right yeah and a lot of bitmaps. I mean, <laughs> like that chart. I mm-hmm. remember making those charts for papers in like high school, and it was like the cutting edge. And I have to say, that there this is, is a, a really nice effect. Yeah, this window. There is a charm to this episode that is entirely my it it being dated by my current standards going on. It's it's charming. Oh, that pinball. Oh, it's just the back glass. That's a shame. It's an odd camera angle. I don't understand why they're shooting <laughs> obliquely. Yeah. It's like a Batman villain or something. Uh, this was directed by David Livingston, who, of course, has directed several really terrific episodes. I think the angle is about the height differential. Huh. <laughs> Because he's like a foot taller than she And is. she's in heels, too. I mean. Yeah, I think that's what's going on. Um, it's not just the suit. She does a hell of a job standing toe-to-toe with anybody and being credible. Well, it, it, it's interesting to watch the actress walk around like she's still in a Starfleet uniform, but not be in one. They're, they're, like, her body language is the same as when she's the captain. It's not like she slipped into like contemporary person yeah yeah well and she she pitches it as though she's still in control yeah just notice the ribbing detail on her blouse it's a nice touch Harry was a little quick to comply. Yeah. <laughs> but he is relatively green. Why isn't Bellana in charge? Is it because she's not Starfleet? Yeah, I don't know. I think it's because she's not a bridge officer. Mm, we've had Jordy in charge. No, I know. <laughs> Maybe it's we've a had combination Scotty of in charge. Come so. on. Um, also, I just, you know, now that I think about it, we never got to see Bellana take the bridge. Yeah. That would have been fun. It would have been fun to at least have a scene where Janeway says, yeah, not you. (laughs) You're you're, you're temperamentally unsuited. Oh my god, 3,000 gigabytes, that's so much data, it's it's not. Yeah, I know. I just, it's... That's 3 terabytes, right? That's like nothing. You can get that on a laptop. I remember, you remember when it was like a 500 megabyte? Oh god, that was the cutting edge, yeah. Like, I remember, like, I got a Mortal Kombat game on CD and it was like 65 megabytes, and I'm like, well, what do I have to delete from my computer and install this monster? It was just... (laughs) (sighs) I like Chicote throwing the chair at the guy. This is okay. It's not great, This uh, that overhead shot. Yeah. I agree, it's decent. 
there's there's a certain quality to the light which granted there's a lot of light pollution in a city like that but it it's just kind of greenish yeah i guess i'd have to really do a flyover to see if i I felt good about the accuracy my question is kind of how do you find a guy who's that loyal right who wouldn't yeah like he's up for your nefariousness but he's not also nefarious himself. Also, I re- I refuse to believe that Windows 3.0... I don't care how much har- tech he's harvested. He's still working on, like, a Windows 3.1 box. I refuse to believe he can actually gain access to the ship. I'm just putting it out there. That the, the databases could talk to each other at all. Yeah. I mean, it would be like one of us trying to hack ENIAC yeah. with a computer today. Yeah, actually, I'm I'm kind of digging the effect now, as long as the sky is not in the background. Yeah. You got at least 20% of the main computer data files. He's playing the villain role really well. Oh yeah, yeah. He's he's definitely he's totally selling incredible. it. Yeah. <laughs> and I like that she hangs up on him. I can see why Robert Beltran got annoyed with what he was asked to do. You know, through yeah. various episodes. This is a masterstroke. Actually, both of these things are masterstrokes. I love the fact that they abduct the doctor because it totally liberates him from storytelling shackles. Yeah, I'll, I'll also say- this version of a newscast is really good. Yeah, like, this was this great this job. was well done. Yeah, like the. Well, they did a good job with the foundness of the footage, you know, but then the voiceover is really good and 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 the the, the logos and stuff. The distance of the ship solves any resolution problems um, for the era. And it's a great uh, semi-cliffhanger to end on. You know, Voyager has been spotted. They've lost the doctor. This is a really exciting show. Yeah. I remember being really impressed and enjoying it a lot when it was on, and it has not diminished in my mind. So, now it comes time to... Yeah, I'm going to call the writing a three. The story is fun, the story is engaging, the driving conflict of the nebulous explosion in the 29th century, um, a couple of the other writing things we picked on... um, also, not not a lot happened happened in this episode. Like, this this was a lot of setup. I understand that's what you do in the first part. You build tension and then you release it. But it doesn't feel like things happen. We learned a lot of things, but not a lot transpired, per se. So, But, but writing was never going to be the episode's strong suit. The, the sense of fun, the sense of energy, I think, is obviously where it lays. But this is not the most scintillating plot 
uh, Voyagers Ever Told? Um, I, I'm, I'm a little more charitable to the writing. I think it's tough to write good comedy, and there is some good comedy. I think it's tough to have a setup episode be exciting. Uh, and this is more exciting. I mean, there's some good action. Uh, there are some good sort of reversals of fortune. Um, you know, and there were a lot of cute bits in it. Uh, so I agree with the, you know, we might have slightly different problems with it, but with the, the sort of problematic nature of the Captain Braxton setup. Um, but it gets the job done and it's mostly over with by minute seven or eight. Uh, and then when they revisit Captain Braxton, you know, that's a great, you know, sort of classic sci-fi, you know, man out of time, Connecticut Yankee type thing. Um, so I really dug that. Um, acting is completely unimpeachable. Yeah. Yeah. No one did a bad job and thank God. I, I like, I'm just not that I don't love Ethan Phillips to bits, but I'm glad his role in this was attenuated in the way it was because his soap opera joke was charming. And because we couldn't send him to earth, we couldn't have him overdo it on earth. Thank God. Um, yeah, yeah, I agree with that. But yeah, everything was well, everyone was well used. Everyone was, um, yeah, I, I, li- I liked watching Kate Mulgrew run around in her, uh, power business suit. I, I really wanted her to storm into the room and declare that she owned 51% of this company and then smash something into the fireplace. It would have been great. <laughs> um, um. I think that the guest stars are yeah, fabulous. Um, you're right. Ed Begley Jr. stopped being Ed Begley Jr. shortly after he came on screen. Like, he really sold... And, I, again, I wonder if he was a fan. Like, I mean, anytime an actor with a significantly meaningful career is on the show, you always wonder, um, did they do this because they were themselves fans? And and that might explain it, because he, he, he does really bring something to the sparring that... Uh, that was fun to watch. Uh, Bagley was a Star Trek fan. Um, I don't know about Silverman. I mean, that's why good Star Trek needs to be back on so we can like angle for a guest. But I would be, uh, you know, not SAG card holding, non-speaking extra in a Starfleet uniform in the background. I would, I would do that in a heartbeat. Uh, she was already a comedian at the time. Um, she said she had trouble with some of the precision of the dialogue, but that she really enjoyed it. Uh, I thought she was great. Yeah, yeah, she really... Even qu- more quickly than Ed Bagley Jr., I completely forgot she was Sarah Silverman and totally bought her as Rain Robinson. And she had a really good sort of romantic comedy, uh, you know, chemistry with Robert Duncan McNeil. Uh, both he and Tim Russ were quite good in their scenes. Like they have really good chemistry, Tim Russ and Robert Duncan McNeil. Like they have a really good, you know, sort of straight man, wiseacre, uh, you know, duo thing going there. And I'm surprised they didn't do more of it. Um, they actually did reprise that to some degree in worst case scenario when Tom found his uh, yeah his hollow scenario. 
Um, so I think the acting is pretty much a five. I mean, there's nothing transcendently good, but so much of it is so consistently good. Yeah, uh, at least a four. Yeah, yeah. And production values, they really kicked ass. I mean, the location shots were terrific. Yeah, I'll say the. the, the, I'm going to say there's a bit of a divide between practical and optical this time. The shot of Voyager in orbit wasn't great. A couple of the shots of Voyager in the atmosphere left a little to be desired, but the real world stuff, spot on. Whatever, like, second team had to go scout those and do those really hit the nail on the head. Well, and the way that they incorporated uh, extra slash just scene people, one of my biggest issues with so many worlds is that they just seem underpopulated. You know, uh, like, we just did false prophets and it's like here's a village with 12 people in it and here's a group of those same 12 people you know and here's these two ferengi talking about how they're extracting all the profit from this world that they can but we only ever see 12 people you know here because we have real world locations and we can just plop a camera on the street you know there are just dozens hundreds of people you know the shots going down Hollywood Boulevard. I mean, it's just great stuff. Uh, the only time it was even a little bit too much was at the very beginning. Um, you know, the guy with the speakers on his head. But some of that was just so cute that I totally forgave it. Um, so I agree. I, I think there were some so-so opticals, but you know, it's at least a four production-wise. They did a great job on the clothing. Yeah, for yeah. The Voyager cast. Yeah, I, I, you know, you made a point. I wonder if some of the stuff was just out of their own wardrobes. Like, I could totally see it. Like maybe that that white suit was a little too tailored, too spot on for Janeway for me to think Kate Mulgrew had that in her closet. <laughs> but I could totally see Robert Duncan McNeil just walked in wearing that shirt that morning. They said, "Let's just use that." <laughs> I don't know. The shirt. That was a pretty ugly shirt, but I suppose we all had them in the nineties. Um, hmm. So where to land on this episode? I mean, I'm going to say it's a four. I, I think it, it is a highly entertaining episode um, that is en- that is genuinely entertaining, despite a few soft spots in the plot. I don't think the story yet reaches for anything grand enough to really push it to the five. If you know, it's like I, I'm. Cer- I've certainly defended many episodes on their raw entertainment value, and I was delighted by many things. I'm even more delighted now because now I can enjoy the datedness of the '90s as part of the episode. Um, but yeah, I, I'd say this is a four. Yeah, you know, it's like, I love it so much, I want to give it a five, but I acknowledge that, you know, that there are probably enough problems to relegate it to four status. Um, You know, we'll see about part two. Uh, You know, maybe, maybe part two will get a five. But this one, it's a hell of an episode, and I remember at the time, like wow this is exciting and i really want to see the next show um which what more can you ask right yeah uh it's super entertaining it doesn't even with the the time ship conceit it doesn't break the universe in any way 
Um, you know, there's nothing that makes a true nerd fan cringe too much, I don't think. Uh, and yeah, the humor works, the acting works, the production works. Uh, you know, I, I think you're right, you know, that there's maybe no... You know, like City on the Edge of Forever, it had, you know, death and loss, you know, sort of great themes. Uh, Yesterday's Enterprise had the end of an empire, you know, the, the collapse of a civilization. You know, these are you're, these are grand themes. And so as long as they're done well, you know, they sort of merit the five. This is just fun. Now, we gave Star Trek four or five, did we not? Um, I think it's because it managed to, in addition to be uh, just funny, I mean, just the comedy was exqu- was like masterful. Um, and I think the um, underlying message about environmentalism was deftly handled, like we almost enjoyed how subtle the message was. Um, and there was just more there there. I mean, it was, you know, it was an extra half hour, it was a grander story, like the, the reach was broader, um, okay. I think, um, in terms of... What well, it, and I think because of the Kirk Spock story, too, yeah, yeah, you know, Spock like regaining his personality. I mean, uh, yeah, uh, tell mother I feel fine is like worth a point on its own, <laughs> like pretty much. Like, well, and they have the trial scene at the end. Yeah, know? yeah. There, there, there's a like, put it this way: if you excise all of the non-comedy scenes and. Uh, from Star Star Trek Four, you pretty much l- are left with the quantum of episode that is as long and as entertaining as this episode. All right, well, so that makes an eight from us. Uh, it's easily been the highlight of the season so far, which is not to say the season's been bad. It's just the season's sort of been consistently in the middle. <laughs> you know, it's like yeah, yeah, no, no, yeah, nothing's really uh, set us on fire. Nothing's been horrible. Nothing's been great. Uh, which there's something to be said for that, you know. <laughs> there's something to be said for not crashing and burning uh, two or three times a season. DS Nine, I'm looking at you. Um, I, you know, I was thinking about this the other day about why Voyager seems to have been somewhat more consistent. And I hate to say it, but I kind of almost think it's because of the lack of number one. Loxana episodes and number two Ferengi episodes if you cut Loxana and Ferengi episodes from DS9 you'd be left with move along home there's no two ways about that but you would have excised a good 80% of the crap just by taking those two categories of shows out they would still have the mirror shows too so that would be bad yeah but Voyager has the Kazon and eventually well the- but we've gotten beyond the Kazon. That's true. That's true. And so now that we're beyond the Kazon, and they're not that dead weight on the show, it's true that there are like aliens of the week and stuff, and you know, it's like some of them are okay, some of them are not. But it, it just something about the show feels lighter now. Yeah, I'm curious. Uh, I, you know, I'm searching my recollection. I don't actually recall what happens in part two with uh, with a great deal of clarity. Um, so I'm looking forward to watching it and seeing how it, uh, how it shakes out. Yeah. Because one, one, one repeated sin of the next gen two parter was awesome setup, adequate payoff, sometimes more, sometimes less, but 
we'll see if uh, Voyager can knock it out of the well, park. With I the, think uh, I think part two is actually going to surpass part one, which is a rare thing for a two-parter. Yeah. Well, well, um, well, well, it's we'll a, I think it's at least going to maintain a consistent level of entertainment with part one. Uh, so, you know, we shall see. Uh, but uh, I have high hopes. Um, and eight is a is a good solid show, uh, better than average, quite a bit better than average, if you ask me, based on sheer entertainment value. It's only dragged back, dragged down by a few things. Um, I, I would call this the equal of something like Relics, which we also gave an eight. Hmm. I you can know, see the argument for that. Yeah. Well, Relics had a lot of really cool things going. Yeah, for yeah, it, yeah. And, and several really nice performances, but a few story issues were just like, eh. Eh, you know yeah and i feel like that's what's going on here it's like it's super fun two really good guest stars really solid performances from the main cast you know and good production values you know yeah all right well that's a total of an eight for uh part one and uh we'll be back for uh part two okay live long and prosper have a good night everyone